Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of the stuff that we are putting on our feet, as well as talking about running and research coming out in the running world. Um, we are back together again. We got a couple weeks off, which was really nice for all of us. Uh, one of the things that we'll talk about today is, for me, I finished my marathon, uh, the Lakefront, Milwaukee Lakefront Marathon. So thanks for giving us some time off to spend with our families and enjoy some stuff that we um, like to do outside of all of this. We usually record Sunday night, so it's kind of nice to have some weekend back for a couple weeks. But we are also excited to be back at it. And something that's fun for us today, we're actually recording on a new platform called Riverside. So we can't really give a full vouch for it yet, but we're hoping that it does a lot for improving both the video and audio quality that comes out. So maybe if you guys have any thoughts on that, you can give us some feedback. But we're back. We're ready and we're excited to talk. We're going to be talking marathon. We're dipping into the mailbag and answering a question from you guys, mainly related to stability. Again, you got another really good question in that realm. And so we're just going to see where things go from there. But before we do that, do you guys have any shout outs on any gear or fuel or shoes that you've been using recently that piqued your interest? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm building up for the California International Marathon right now, CIM, as a lot of people are. Uh, with that comes just a, 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 an assortment of nutrition options that you start experimenting with and making sure things don't mess with your stomach make sure things go down well. And so that way when race day comes, you're not trying anything new. Uh, for me, the SIS gels with some caffeine in there, I think it's 75 milligrams, which is actually quite high for a gel. Um, they're working pretty well for me. I did over 20 miles this morning and just took them every 30 minutes. And there's some water mixed in with it. So it goes down way smoother than any other gel I've used. And the week, the long run the week before, I literally took goo and SIS with me just to see. And like after I took the SIS and then I took the goo, I was like, oh, like, <laughs> it was just like thick. And I was having a hard time getting it down compared to this. So That's it goes down big, really smooth. It's a big pack. Is it, they, it is. There, there's water in it. So it's, it, it's a gel that is mixed with fluid. So you don't have to have a water with it. Got it. Do you so just I use, uh, put it in your shorts? Like, is there enough room in your shorts to bring it or how do you? There are. I usually use like the rabbit Daisy Dukes. There's, there's enough room in there, but. Uh... Sorry, stupid. <laughs> but I actually use, shout definitely out. Definitely use the front pocket for that one, just in case. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, shout out naked. Uh, I use a naked belt. So I just put them in the front, just roll up the singlet, you know, pull it out put it down, roll it again, tuck it in a different spot so that I don't get it all gooey or something, you know, in that area. Will you and race then, with a belt or no race? When you race, you don't wear a belt. I wore one at the last one. Oh, you did? Really? Yeah, I did. Yeah, fun fact, I got a belt under that, my singlet. That's <laughs> even more impressive because I feel like wearing a pair like gear like that is really hard running at faster paces. Um, I've done bad. Really? So like I mean, I guess, naked belt then. The naked it must be that good. it must be that good then. I can go run and have... grab it. Like, That's impressive. To show you, it's really thin. Yeah, I can. Okay. No, I've, it, it, it I've seen it before. It. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's literally like they have a size uh, for each like waist circumference, and it's a pretty large range with small differences. It's not like short sizes that are like huh. one hmm. inch, two inch, three inch. It's like pretty finite, and um, or definite, I guess, not finite, but. Um, yeah, you find one that works for you. It hugs at the waist. I just I just make sure that my shorts, there's a little bit of overlap there so it doesn't chafe or anything, especially if you have gels or your phone in there and things can move over the course of however long you're running. So I just make sure that the very bottom of the belt is over the top of my shorts, just on the little line there. But it, it works great. Yeah, That's I have sweet. my phone with me. I have my keys with me. I have I had four gels, my keys, and my phone today. So, wow, I might have to check that out because again, running yeah. quicker, especially if you have, you know, the BOA alpaca shorts are one of my favorite shorts. So, shout out to those. But we've, I've reviewed those before. But when you have a lot of gear in there, it gets, it starts moving around. So, hearing that makes me really interested in that mm -hmm. belt. I, was, I started out yeah. making fun of this, and now I'm like, oh, I'm actually legitimately <laughs> interested now. <laughs> cool. Any, any other, any other things? Um, using? Oh. Oh, 
We do need to talk about the Wave Rebellion. Yeah, we'll talk get to that. But uh, I'll just give a quick shout out to Osmo. And this is technically, I, I totally held up the wrong side for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I'm just showing nutrition facts here. <laughs> this is technically the active hydration one, but I actually use it for post hydration. It goes down really well uh, after a long run like today. I just have a 40 ounce water bottle, just one of the normal canteen ones. And then I unscrew it put two scoops of that in get some salts and everything back in me and it doesn't upset my stomach the taste is relatively mild and it just gets some nutrition back in you i don't really take a lot of fluids when i'm running so for me i i I either do it before or after but it's usually after nice i would say in that realm and that's like immediately after it's like in my car and ready to roll i've been using the mantra labs kind of they're these they're kind of i think of them as uh, crystal light packets. <laughs> that's how they're, <laughs> that's how they're packaged. So I've been, I haven't been using them for running or exercise. I've been using them on off days just to have something that's kind of holding, holding fluid a little more. So, and they taste good. They, they do. Good the lemonade is pretty spot on. Lemonade. Lemonade's really good. Speaking, the fruit, the uh, fruit punch. The fruit punch can be a little salty. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of run nutrition, so I haven't used this for a long time, but for a while, this was my go-to post-run nutrition. So shout out to Scratch Labs and their post-run recovery coffee. This is my favorite stuff. If you want to get your brain jump-started after a long run, it's my go. Because like right now (laughs) with my studying, I have to get right home and then my brain needs, like I don't have time for my brain to go, oh, you know, that that post-long run like days. I don't got time for that. So add, I actually add this to more coffee and I am supercharged and ready to go. And I just, the taste is really good. So shout out to Scratch. This is something I've nutrition wise been really enjoying. It's a little pricey, but it's definitely in my mind worth it. Cause it seems I'm again, anecdotal, but I do notice a difference both mentally and the next day. So quick question. So it's actual yeah. coffee or is it coffee flavored? Like, is it uh, like an instant coffee mixed with electrolytes and stuff? Or? No, there's actually coffee extract in here. And the, they also have some probiotics in here, too. So that did, okay. that second part cool. was not in your question. But, yes, there's actual coffee in here. Sweet. Cool. Awesome. And I, I think we should just – I just want to kind of make the statement We're just that none, start. Of this, <laughs> none of this stuff that we've we've gone through in terms of kind of what we've been using as our gear, none of these are sponsors. We just want to kind of share the stuff that we've been using that we've actually been liking. Um, and everything that we talked about besides the mantra lab stuff is stuff that we've bought on our own dime. So, um, that's kind of, uh, Osmo. Kind of oh, and Osmo was sent to us. Thank you. Uh, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, those were sent for review. And so, you know, we've got that stuff going, but the rest of it's been stuff we've bought on our own dime. So let's jump over. I know you have another shoe up, Matt. We're going to jump to the wave rebellion. We'll, we'll later. Yeah. We'll later. So let's, um, Let's, we were actually all just sent new pairs of the Mizuno Wave Rebellion. Um, the reason for that was we were given pre-production models for wear tests. That's what they sent out to all of the reviewers for the early testing and review. Turns out that they fit a little bit differently and they came in a little bit small compared to the actual production models. And so we were just sent new pairs a little over a week ago and we've had a chance to put them on and get some runs in. So we just want to give a quick update on kind of fit and how that affects the, the ability to use this shoe, especially for Matt and I. David did well in the first pair, but he's got some thoughts too. He just took them out for over 20 miles today. So um, let's, let's kind of talk about that. What do you guys got for an update in terms of the change between the actual production model and the pre-production that we tested? The fit is fixed enough that I think this is my shoe of the year right now in terms of training wise. Just and I, it's a little biased because my favorite type of shoes is lightweight trainers, and I wanted to like the the Saucony Endorphin Speed more. I just needed to be a little bit more firm and stable, so I tend to do well in like almost in mild stability shoes. This mm-hmm. is almost that, and the fit totally fixes all the issues that I was having. It changes the ride a little bit too, where I'm towing off at a better place. So I've used this for a long run on the trail today. I've used it for workouts. I've used it for easy runs. It really, it for me personally, it ticks off all the boxes of lightweight shoes. Somebody who likes the Saki Endorphin Speed but wants something a little more firmer and more stable, this is it. And the fit is wonderful. The upper, I've just got just enough room. Tongue is still a little bit bigger than I think it needs to be, but everything else, like 
it's got a really nice fit and the the ride the transition is really good and worked for my mechanics so i think that fixed majority of everything like we you know we have to talk about how we might update that review on the actual website so yeah we got to do that what about that's you, my DJ? two cents what do you got yeah yeah subtle differences that made a big difference so the length issue was solved it was about a half size small before it still worked for me i didn't have problems with the other one but like my foot would hit the toe guard every once in a while um especially if i'm doing trails or something that's a little bit more jarring and you're coming up front on those feet a little more so the fit's much more dialed in it's a it's a tiny bit longer the volume might be a tiny bit higher because of that like in the forefoot but it was great i think with swelling accommodation and things like that over 20 plus miles the shoe it locked down well um because of the length thing i did notice i had to lace this one down a little bit tighter than i had to lace the previous uh pre-production model down i had to stop after a mile in and be like okay i gotta tighten this guy down but um outside of that this shoe's phenomenal i actually really like it this isn't a review for the rebellion per se, but this is right now my most versatile shoe of the year. And that's in competition with this guy, which is the Endorphin Speed 2. And my main reasoning, uh, I feel like it's a little bit slower than the Speed 2, but you can still let it rip in this shoe. Hmm. And I think it also, you can go on trails, the lugs have plenty of traction, the stability components there, and it feels better at slower paces to me than the Speed does. So it is the definition of versatile. It is a shoe that you can daily train in and race in. It is plated. It's a fiberglass plate that goes through it or glass fiber, whatever we want to call it. Um, it's like rigid, but flexible at the same time. So it's a little bit of a firmer ride than some of these other shoes out there, but it's still plenty of protection. I took it for 21 and a half today. No problems. So Right. Yeah, I, I got to just, I'll echo it. Like the the first pre-production model, I couldn't go more than five miles without my my toes hurting because they were just butting up against the toe guard. And now I got nothing like it's or nothing in a good way where there it doesn't. I've got plenty of space. It length just lengthened just enough, and just fits great. So big fan, and I'm excited to get more miles on it because I couldn't put the miles I really wanted to or the types of runs I really wanted to in the original um, pre-production model. So we'll have to update our review, but just there's definite changes in a positive direction in terms of making it more true to size. Cool. Matt, you want to take over so I don't have to ask myself I, I'm questions? Gonna, I'm going to steal the show right now. Um, so I want to give Nathan again a shout out for completing and doing a phenomenal job reaching all his goals in the marathon. This was It, it was already last weekend? Is it already? Yeah, it was, it was on, two weeks. On Sunday. Yeah, it was, a yeah, one it was on ago. Sunday. Wow, mm -hmm. it feels like so much has happened since that time. Yeah. So, Nathan, I really think this is a good time. You went through a lot. We talked quite a bit throughout this process. You know, I hope you don't mind me sharing a little bit about their previous comments. You know, it was not that long ago before this episode that there were some comments and some injury issues that you considered going, I may not ever be able to run again. And then, you know, fast forward to last Sunday where you ran, uh, your goal was under 330 and you did. 329 right on the dot it was great right looking strong at the end there i encourage you guys go check out instagram there's some great videos you look like just awesome probably didn't feel like that but it you looked awesome going through the finish line training went really well there's a couple little bumps there and so what i'm what we're hoping is we can share and talk about a little bit of nathan's experiences and normalize some of the things that you will go through in marathon training that includes mm -hmm. things like kind of what to expect with training pain experiences with training and gear, what's normal, what's not, right? And understanding that there are some things that are going to pop up and they will go away. The biggest question we've gotten from both uh, emails and social media is why Nathan chose the shoe he did. And that was a big talk back and forth. <laughs> and another, any other experiences you had going through this and completing this? So what should we start with? Oh, what do man. you want to start with? Well, I think, I think you hit on something in terms of like not, not knowing if I was going to run again. And yeah. I think to just put a little bit out there, I, I have some like uh, uh, some skeletal changes, deformities. What's the right, I don't know what the right word that makes the most sense to everybody, but I have some skeletal changes within my hip joint, um, which still at this point could be considerations for surgery. Like I went in to see 
orthopedist and they said I would get you in next week to work on this. Um, and that was like a year and a half ago. And he said, yeah, and we might have to do a, if we get in there and it looks as bad as I think it might, we might have to do a hip replacement and I'm 30. So I'm like, I can't handle the reality of talking about hip replacement. And although I work with people every single day on communicating about injury and pain and changes in their bodies, when it's you, it just feels different and you can't be your own physical therapist, your own physician or your own doctor, at least I can't. And so it was just a very interesting experience. Um, I was able to rehab my way out of some of the pain I was having at the time, still walking through some of that stuff. But I think it's been really an interesting journey of marathon training because like I said, even though that I'm a physical therapist, I work with runners all the time and I dare to say I do, I do help a lot of runners. Um, I had a lot of issues in my own training. So my first marathon that I ran was in 2017 it was a Chicago marathon and I training went, did not go well at all. Three weeks before the marathon, I couldn't run more than a quarter mile because of lateral knee pain, pain on the outside of my knee. And so I took three weeks off and then I just went for it. Um, marathon day. And I ended up running like a 354. Um, so I finished it, but it didn't, it wasn't pretty. And it was also like 85 and 95% humidity in Chicago that day or whatever it was, or that's what it felt like at least. <laughs> um, but uh, so I started cramping up early on, but ultimately I was just trying to like train for something that I wasn't ready for. Like I was saying, Oh, I want to hit this pace, but I had never ran even close to that far at that pace ever before. So I was just kind of like arbitrarily picking things and trying to shoot for it, which resulted in an injury in training. Um, and then I tried last year in 2020 to train for a marathon. And it was kind of the same thing where I set expectations to be like, I'm going to run a three, I said, I want to run a 3.30, but then as I started training, I had like one successful long run and I was like, you know what? I could actually probably run a 3.10. Like based on that, based on that 17 miler, I could probably run a 3.10. So then I upped all of my training to meet an expectation that I had for myself and I ended up with a stress fracture because every single run I was pushing to the limit um, and, you know, you can reflect back on all this stuff and you would know that you're making stupid decisions but when you're in the middle of it and you don't have anybody guiding you you just are like I'm just going for this and I'm feeling good right now and then there it went it landed in the stress fracture and so I I think this year I wanted to make some like active changes in the way that I approach training and one of those big ones was hooking up with Dave Ames um, for with aim for it run coaching and I think that he my favorite thing about that whole process was just I could take away all of the mental load of thinking about what's the right decision today for what I should run because he's worked with enough runners and knows enough of the science of training and how getting to a marathon works that I could just entrust to him like what I was supposed to do that day and explain kind of how I felt and what that means and then he progressed me forward and he slowed me way down so like all of my running my you know if you looked at my paces a year ago at two of my paces now, like most of my runs are so much slower than they were a year ago. And even when I started training this year, I was testing a prototype back in February and I got a really actually pretty significant calf tear um, that I had to rehab and it was still nagging me at the beginning. So when I started coaching with or doing coaching with Dave, we were both like, we don't even know if we're going to be able to run the marathon, but we can go week by week. <laughs> And so we thankfully eventually just like every week was like, okay, that went okay. It went okay. It went okay. And I think having somebody just kind of directing the ship who knew what they were talking about for someone like me, who's, who's made a lot of mistakes before. And I'm, I was not ever coached in running. Like I didn't do high school or college running at all, or even middle school. So it was just a really great experience to have him coaching me. But yeah, so the, I, I don't know, that was just a bunch of rambling about training, yeah. but I think that it uh, was fun to get to a start line healthy. I think it touches also on coach the training and coaching perspective is that, you know, even for those of us that have been coached before, when you're really preparing for a race like this, it's good to get additional resources. And sometimes it's really good to have what I would call a mentor. And yeah. the my fellows and some of the people that I've worked with know that I've talked about this before, that it's good to have a mentor and somebody who can see the big picture. Cause oftentimes when you're in the moment, you don't see it. 
you're like, what workout can I do today? I have to hit this pace. I have to hit this number of reps. And sometimes it's really nice to have somebody both encourage you, but also hold you back a little bit from redlining. Cause it's very easy to redline during training or workout, especially, you know, daily life emotion gets to you. So it's really nice to have that guide. And I think that combination, um, it really speaks. I mean, we were, you know, we're biased cause we, we love Dave. Um, right. but yeah, I think this was a very good experience to kind of see that and have some guidance and be pulled back. That's something a lot of runners that I see and a couple of them that I work with, you know, lots of people love to run fast because I got to post it on Strava, but it's really focus on the race day. Don't mm-hmm. focus on the individual runs, the buildup, but that's yeah. great. I think this went really well. Now you've mentioned some stuff, some challenges that you've gone through previously in terms of injuries and pain. Can you talk us through a little bit about what experiences you had this round Oh yeah. in terms of pain, in terms of, I wouldn't say injuries, but you can call them injuries, you know, in terms of inter- small interruptions to training. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And David, did you have something too? I saw your hand go up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I was just going to say, and a good coach won't hesitate to pull you back. Right. So, um, like we've been going pretty hard the last couple of weeks and I write notes to my coach after every workout. And I think it was like two workouts ago. And I was saying like, I hit all my times paces on paper. It looked awesome. But I was like, I was really tired going into this. I had to battle my way through this one. And I had been writing semi-similar things like that for the last two or three workouts. And he literally was like, all right, no, we're not working out Friday. We're going to go Saturday. When we go Saturday, then we're going to have this. The other guys are going to go another two miles on this. I'm holding you from those two. And then I was like, if I'm feeling okay, can I do those two? No. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer not. That's awesome. So it was like that I'm, I'm feeling okay now and we're, we're back on it. We're not, you know, That's it's great. just that idea of not redlining too much. Right. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, yeah, Matt, back to into your question now regarding like things I encounter along the way. I think um, because marathon training is so long and so involved, anytime that I would start to feel something I would start to get really concerned. I'm like, is this going to be the thing that holds me out? And I think that little level of anxiety um, was tied to a couple things. And I think Dave helped coach me through one of these. He he continuously, he, his big thing, he talked about it on our podcast, but expectations running versus holistic running. And so if you put expectations on any part of running, it's just setting yourself up to like either exceed, which is great, or fall short, which is what ruins the sport for you. And when you run holistically and thinking not about, I want to meet this time or this day on this day or whatever, but you're just trying to be where you're at and enjoying the process of running and all the other parts of your life, it goes a lot smoother. But anyway, I think that there was, there's two big ones. Um, I had done, and they always were tied to some of the workouts. So um, the one workout was a three by 10 kind of tempo, um, pretty classic tempo workout. And after that, I started getting a little bit of pain in the bottom of my foot. Um, And then I had a 20 miler that weekend and I made it through the 20 miler. But then the next Monday, it was just like pretty solid discomfort with every single step, even with walking. And so, you know, I talked to you, Matt, about it um, because I was starting to freak out. I'm like, am I going to be able to keep running? And you kind of encouraged me that, you know, like your body's adapting to brand new stimuli of higher mileage and new workouts together. And that pain does not mean that something's necessarily like you're like uh, brought to a point where it's not going to recover as you go. And so instead of like stopping running and doing full out, like freak out about what I'm feeling, it was Dave pulled back, you know, some of my distance for that week because it was after my first 20 miler anyway so it was a, an off more off week so that was pulled back some of the paces were pulled down and in the meantime I did stuff with rehab that I know kind of what to do regarding the type of foot pain that I was having and by the next week Tuesday it was all gone again but it at the time it felt pretty like it was past the point of no return um, which wasn't the case it was just my body adapting to stuff and then I would say the worst part was tapering um, 
people like started talking to me about the taper crazies and just like the mental state that you get in, but everything just started hurting no matter what I did. And then, um, and, and that sounds really exaggerated, but it would be like one day my hip would kind of hurt and then my knee would kind of hurt. Um, the most consistent one was I had a, my final workout was some 800s and it was a week and a half before the marathon. And I went a little bit faster than I was planning on going, but I was just going based on feel. And then I, my FHL flexor halysis longest, like if I, if I curled my big toe, it would hurt. And I was like, this is it. I just ruined it on my last workout. And it honestly hurt up until race day. Dave, Matt, DJ, everyone's like, you're going to be fine. Like you've trained step on the line. It's not going to bother you. And it was true on race day, literally no pain at all um, or pain sensation in that area. And it, it really was um, our, our brains are powerful. And we, I know this working as a physical therapist, Dave told this to me as a coach. Um, like he sees this so much with all of his athletes going through different parts of their training and just the, the power that our brain has to control the sensations that we feel in, in our muscles and our tendons and ligaments and just kind of what's going on in our joints. Um, you can't just take it at face value. You got to be able to kind of parse out what's, what's scary and what's not. And so I think the encouragement to just kind of push through was a big deal. Um, not push through in a dumb way, but push through in a smart way and uh, not freak out. Yeah, not freaking out is huge in training because you're going to get niggles. Like, it's going to happen. Thanks for using think... that word. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be little things that come up, but being able to parse out what's actually dangerous and not is is a skill in itself. And it, sometimes it takes a few injuries to start developing that. But, yeah, I mean, that's good. I mean, it's, it's you're, you're kind of like learning what that adaptive feel feels like. Yeah. Sometimes it just gets sore. It feels off, and you're like, "Man," but it doesn't like hurt. Like there, like like there's this weird like underlying thing, like where I'll I'll tell people like I'm fine, but I, but I feel this <laughs> or like you know yeah. or the, like these things, but but I'm fine. I know I'm fine. And I think I get in my own head sometimes where yeah. it's like I feel it, and it has a biomechanical mechanism of injury, and it hurts when I activate that tendon or muscle so i'm like so it must be quote unquote real and um it's funny how like i literally haven't had a lick of pain since during or after the marathon at all of that of the fhl um see that my my comment to that would be that your pain is certainly real because what pain is definitely real right so the what i'm about ready to talk about and don't let me go too far off because literally like this is pain science yeah. Here so pain is yeah. pain is real. There is a biomechanical component to it, but it also goes beyond that where pain is a very complex experience that is very person dependent and is based on both biomechanical stuff, how your brain processes information, past experiences, emotional components. It is this is far too in depth for us to go into in this podcast in a short time. But expectations, emotions, all that kind of stuff can, you know, it's, it's an alarm, right? It's your body trying to go, hey, something's going on. This may be a threat. And part of our job, and part, there's a skill to this. This is a learning process of going, you know, is this alarm kind of, do I really need to turn this up? Or can I just turn this down? Because, you know, I'm going to get through this. It's just one of the things that happens. My body's just giving me some warning signs. Whether it's from actual tissue damage or potentially something else is, a, is something you have to figure out. But pain is real, but you have to scrutinize it and figure out what does it mean? Because it's your body trying to tell you something, what exactly it is, may not be the actual tissue that you're feeling, it may be something else. So there's a lot going into this. There's a lot of expectations you had, you know, previous experiences going, I might not run again, Mm -hmm. plus a lot of expectations going, we all knew about this This is something we really want to do. You have a goal, you've got a coach, you've got people that are kind of, you know, you, we all are going to support you no matter what, right? But, you know, there's also expectations you're putting on yourself, which creates additional pressure. So you got to take all those factors in. And that's one of the things that I try to remind, to try to remind both Nathan as well as patients is going, you know what, these things are going to happen. And pain yeah. is normal, especially marathon training, right? Like how many, 
like you're putting in more miles than like you, you ever have. So it's, it can be very intense. So you have to kind of be ready to kind of go, something's going to hurt. I got to, I got to check my alarm and go, is this, is this a really big danger or is this kind of going to be one of those things that will just come and go? And I think that's where just the, one of my huge takeaways from this training um, cycle was the necessity for me of having a team that I wasn't running can be so individual, but for me in this cycle, having a team of people who could um, reflect on my experiences and help me think about them accurately um, because I am not objective when it comes to myself. I'm working with other people. Great. But when it's myself, I, I, I think I found I need that team around me and having you guys as my therapists. Right. And then um, having Dave as my coach, um, the combination. And I just, I think I learned so much about the value of a coach for me as a physical therapist in terms of who I want to work with um, when it comes to treating my patients and like who are, who are runners who have coaches. Like I will, now, after this experience, I will go out of my way to speak with the coach. Like if it's not just some random like internet kind of like spitting out algorithms to people, like if they have a legitimate coach who exists, um, I, I think I've just learned that the value of a good coach in terms of getting the, the runner where they want to go is a huge deal, especially if they know what they're talking about. So, um, but yeah, that's all the training, I guess. And then race day came, which now the, so I think we have to start with something first before we talk a little bit more about race day because everybody's going to ask this question. Why did you choose the shoe you decided on? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you guys heard me bellyaching. What a terrible thing to bellyache about. Bellyaching about which shoe. If I was going to choose the Endorphin Pro 2 or if I was going to pick the Endorphin Pro Plus, which showed up like three weeks before the marathon. Um, ultimately, I went with the Endorphin Pro 2. The, the way I knew I was going to do the Endorphin Pro um, just based off of a lot of experience in the first version and then in the second version, um, I probably have between them maybe like 200 miles on both those shoes. I would test them on long runs and I would wear like one of my marathon options and then I would put on this shoe and then run in that. And I always just found that for me, the running felt more effortless and more protected and I felt less beat up. And that's just all my personal experience in the shoe. And, um, I like a firmer ride. And so I wanted something a little bit firmer of the marathon options, uh, of the plated, you know, super shoe options. The endorphin pro sits on that firmer end. Um, I think that the geometry of the speed roll works really well for me and just feels really natural and smooth. The plate's really rigid, but because of the geometry, I just feel it felt like it worked for me there. Ultimately, though, to, between the plus and the two, um, I think there was just a level of familiarity and confidence that I had because I had done a 22-miler and an 18-miler in the Endorphin Pro 2. And the longest run that I had in the plus was a 17-miler, which went great. But I did have to change my lacing at mile 12 to lock it down because it had stretched a little bit. And I think just the unknown of, Hey, I had to change lacing once. Should I, should I switch it up or should I just go with what I know worked for 22? No problem. Um, and so I think that's ultimately where it came. I just felt more confident and it was one less thing on my mind because I had so many other things going into race day. Honestly, the shoe was like not that important, um, for someone like me, for someone like me. Uh, and so I, I just found like, I felt really comfortable in it confident in it and so i was going to go with it i i would encourage we had a post not too long ago where i talked a little bit about get it which shoe you should choose for marathon how you prep in that and i think coming down to what you're comfortable with going into the race is is really important right and that's what you need to be doing on your long runs leading up to the marathon is figuring out what gear works for you, whether it's nutrition shoes and go with what you're most confident in. it doesn't matter what studies are showing or what have you, like what's most efficient. Like you have to realize they're only doing that on like 12 people and that may or may not have anything to do with you. Right. So we don't have the research to, to figure out how most of these quote super shoes or racing shoes are actually affecting different populations. Right. We only just have pretty much a couple college kids or like semi pro runners that, you know, most of us are not. So Going with what's comfortable and testing this out first and making that decision early is is good. And I think honestly, I I love the Endorphin Pro Plus 
Did I say that in the right order? Yeah, finally. Yeah, I've had a trouble you with did that. It. Yes, finally. I still think plus pearl sounds better. But go with what's comfortable and test this out. Do not pull out anything new on race day. I know something sometimes things happen, but again, try to control as many variables as you can because when you get to race day, there's going to be a lot of variables you can't control. Yeah. So try to take care of that stuff. And again, the quote unquote fastest shoe for another person is not going to be the best shoe for you, especially the marathon. Cause it's really about can you, like getting to the finish line. There right? would be, no- which I, I, ahead, I just said, listen to an interview with Galen Rupp going into Chicago. Uh, I think it was, um, uh, sweat elite has their podcast and they had him on and, and they interviewed him. And they had asked him, you know, like, do you like the next percent too? Or do you like the alpha fly? And what are you going to wear in Chicago? And he was like, I love them both. They're both great shoes. (laughs) Like for the marathon, I like this a little bit more. It seems to fit for my mechanics. I'm going to go with the alpha fly. You look at everyone else around them. They're all wearing next percents. And then some people are like, oh, the alpha fly is dead. It's like, no, it's not. It's just, he likes that shoe. They like that shoe. (laughs) It's just, it's a matter of which one do you like? Yep. And, maybe and he said they, for the half, he might have a different decision. Right. And maybe they, did he say if, if they get their own VO2 testing done? Oh, no, he didn't mention any like biometric stuff. I don't I think did, he did. Oh. I kind of had it on in the background. I was, I would tune in every once in a while intently, but I mean, I would I, imagine they have their own studies at Nike, but I don't know. I, w- I would bet large sums of money because I've definitely seen photos <laughs> of him with that. So I, with, I like, would the bet large sums of money. Yeah. I, I would guarantee you that they do uh, VO2 max testing and all that for kind them of stuff. individually. So yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I know I'm they sure did they when the Flynet yeah. racer, I think was coming out yeah. back when, uh, when he was still running on the track, I think they had him do some stuff for that. Gotcha. That they, that they showed. I mean, they definitely an- analyze every aspect of his biomechanics. So they, they, I'm guaranteeing they're doing VO2 max and physiologic testing on him. So I'm sure he knows. I will also say for somebody like me, I don't think any shoe, would have made a difference for my last two miles of how the race went. <laughs> but no, I mean, so, let's more talk more. about people might argue that, but the first 24 gets you there, you know? You know so I get that, but just, I'm just throwing that out there. So no, let's no, talk about I, I agree experience. completely because uh, the deeper I'm getting into some of these long efforts, you get to a point where you're like, this shoe is not going to save me. It's all me. You get to that point and it's just like nothing from this shoe is, is contributing to what I am currently putting out. Yeah. And you come to that realization pretty harshly sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> then you have to crawl to the finish. Oh yeah. But let's, let's talk about ra- brief, briefly your race, race experience. Sure. Um, I'll do some highlights of it, I guess. So I was driving there in the morning. It was cool. The start was only like 40 minutes from my parents' house. So our whole family went over, stayed at my parents. And then I woke up early and drove to the race start. It started in Grafton. It was a point to point. So it started in a town called Grafton at their high school. And so on our way there, it was like thundering and lightning. So that was cool. I'm like, this is great. Yay. And it was raining pretty hard. But thankfully, you know, I got a, my warm up was in the rain but I brought like extra socks and I did my run in a different, like my warm up in different shoes. So um, anyway, so it was raining a lot, but by the time the race started, it calmed down quite a bit and conditions were pretty fine. It was like mid to upper sixties and like pretty humid and then occasional rain. It probably rained for like an hour during the race, but the rain actually felt pretty good. It wasn't like windy or anything. Um, but it was fun to toe the line. I mean, I haven't like raced in such a long time and I haven't done a marathon since 2017. So it was, it was so weird to like be there and know that the gun is going to go off and then I'm going to run for like three, three and a half to four hours. (laughs) It's like, I guess this is what I'm doing today. Um, I just hadn't had that experience in a long time and I, I I just forgot completely what it was going to, what it was going to be like, but it was just really fun. There's like 2000 runners who did it this year. And so it's a solid sized race. And especially for someone who's more middle pack like me, like I always had people around me. Um, I talked about lacing as one of the reasons why I wanted to go with the endorphin pro Two. The irony is that at mile eight, my foot went numb on my left side. (laughs) So I actually stopped to relace my shoe 
because and I had at that point at like mile five I started chatting with this one guy who does he's doing actually really cool things in Chicago with people in low-income housing where he like goes in and checks the efficiency of their homes and because they'll have these super low um, rates but their utility bills are so high because they're so inefficient so he goes in there and helps them find out how can we make your home more um, efficient in terms of heat heating and cooling and stuff anyway so we were in a cool conversation I was like I gotta stop because my foot's going numb so I stopped and loosened my shoe so that's the irony of choosing a shoe I felt more confident in but I, I, it didn't bother me, thankfully. Um, the other thing I should say, I went to the bathroom multiple times before I started, but I still had to go at the start line. And I was like, ah, but there was no time. There was like three minutes. And I'm like, I can't, can't go, so I'll just hold it. So um, I'll kind of come back to that later maybe. But um, yeah, so when he relaced my shoe at mile eight and... It was one of those days I never felt like I really got in rhythm. Like I, I just never felt effortless. But my best miles were probably between 14 and 21. So like 14 to 21, I felt like I was just kind of like as best as I was that day, kind of just gliding along and felt pretty good. Um, and it's a pretty flat course, so that, that was fun. But then like mile 23 hit and I started to get really like it was where I knew like the mental game was going to come in in terms of um, like having to gut it out. And actually at mile 21, it was like a cool moment of like realizing I'm going to be able to finish the race today. And there was like a huge wave of thanks, thankfulness that I had for like all the people who helped me with my training, tons of other stuff, because like it's I feel like you can never take it for granted, at least I've had a number of bad experiences training for marathons. So just to get to a point where I was like, I'm going to be able to finish this thing was a really, it was like this wave. And I noticed I was running faster and I was like, okay, I got to chill out because I'm not, I'm still like five miles away from the end. Um, so anyway, I got to mile like 20, 22, started to get really tired. 24, I was really, really tired. And I just had to pee really bad. Like it was catching up with me and I was deciding, I'm like, do I just go in my shorts? Like, I feel like people probably do that. Or I was just passing a place called Bradford beach and there was a porta potty. I was like, or I could stop because I'm tired and go. And that's what I did. And retrospectively, I wish I would have went pee earlier in the race, just at like mile one and just like stopped and went. Cause then you're not in rhythm yet. And you can, who, who cares about that 30 seconds there? But I went into the, I went into the porta potty and my arms were shaking and my legs were shaking and my head started like spinning. And I, I thought like, if I faint in here, who's going to get me out of this porta potty? Cause it was a standalone one. Like it wasn't like a bunch for the race. It's just like one, one that's like normally there. So I was legitimately like concerned, but, and everything was shaking. It was really weird. So I, I, anyway, so I got out and, Thankfully, like once I got running, I kind of normalized in terms of my body's regulation. Um, but the last two miles were kind of just run as far as I could. But now that I was out of rhythm, I it was hard to keep going. So I probably walked five or six times for 10 seconds, 10 steps even. And then I just kind of kept looking at my watch and I was like, I think I'm going to finish under 330. <laughs> and uh, I snuck in at like at 329.44, so I had 16 seconds to spare, um, but it was great to finish, and like, my whole, my, my wife and our two kids were there, my parents were there at the end, I had one of my former students that I had as a, I was their clinical instructor, she came out, because she lives in Milwaukee, um, and then a, another family of our good friends who live in Milwaukee were all there, kind of just cheering, cheering me on, which was just super cool, it's like, yeah, running's not really individual, it's so communal, so, it was a fun day. I was exhausted afterwards. I, I was sitting on a bench and kind of by myself, like my family was all eating like a picnic and I just started crying. And my wife was like, you okay? Like, can I do something for you? I was like, I'm fine. I'm not even like happy crying. I'm just tired. Like I'm legitimately just so tired that I'm crying right now. <laughs> She's like, Oh honey. <laughs> so, I'm, yeah, it was just, it felt like those early months of having a kid and I had like cried at night when we're so tired because they wake up all the time, just exhaustion, t exhaustion crying. 
Um, so that's what happened. But it was just such such a gift to be able to finish. And I know, you know, I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but I think that's what makes running so cool is that your own, you know, day can be just as cool to you as it is for somebody else who's qualifying for Boston or making the Olympic trials. Um, there's just so much to be had in the sport. And um, it was fun, fun day. There's my story. That was a awesome. solid one. That was great. Had ups and downs and twists and turns and <laughs> nearly fainting know, like, and crying. David and I didn't know any of this stuff. Really. I, I didn't know I didn't that either. I was a long time. I didn't know. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, we purposely didn't talk about it so that I could tell you oh, guys the true, story. Yeah. Like, oh, that is true. We established that like Monday. That makes sense. Matt was yeah, like, Nate, yeah. tell us more about it. And Box like, no, save it for the podcast. <laughs> I don't get to know anything. I can relate to that bathroom experience, though. Not in a race situation, but I had to do it mid-workout one time. And it was just one of those random residential ones in front of someone's house. And, like, you get in there and you're just, like, like literally, like, you can't control your body. And, like, you're going from going, like, full speed or racing effort or workout effort to having to stop point blank, center yourself into something. (laughs) Get the job done. Get it back out. <laughs> Sometimes switching from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic part of your nervous system is not the most pleasant. And then you got to get that back going. Then you got to right? get that's back. the fight or flight, right? That, you got to go from fight or flight part. to fight or flight to bathroom eating, like cognitive stuff, and then go back. Yeah. Buddy's like, why? What do we like? We're gonna die. Yes. Like, totally. On. Yeah, I remember my hands shaking like crazy, and I like had a hard time. Like, yeah. I know exactly what that feels like. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. It was <laughs> it was weird, but I'm glad I didn't faint because that would have been weirder. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, I am done talking. I have talked too much. Um, so I'm going to transition <laughs> us to the next part of what we're talking about. Um, and this is a question that comes from Prairie Oats Jewelry on Instagram. Um, we should actually check out what they do, Prairie Oats Jewelry. But they sent us an, a message on Instagram. And they said, is there such a shoe as a neutral trainer with some stability or is it only one or the other? I tried the Mizuno Horizon 4 based on your review, but it is for overpronators and I supinate slightly. The shoe felt great, but I don't want to wear something that's wrong for me. Thanks for any help. So you guys got kind of the big, I think the big question is, is there such thing as a stable neutral shoe? Then we kind of got to talk about like supination, pronation, matching to shoes comfort all because they kind of hit all those things so what do you guys got the horizon is is a great shoe to use as an example i'm just gonna throw that out there first dj go for it but i think it's great no i want to hear what you have to say about the horizon go um (laughs) so perios jewelry we do have and this is thanks to bach have a really awesome stability guide on the website that talks about this exact topic so and we mention this all the time that you can have neutral shoes that again don't have any traditional methods of stability that are very stable and you can have stability shoes that are supposed to be stable but are not so a lot of this comes down to individual like stuff like how you respond to different methods the horizon is a great example of a shoe that is a supposed to be a high level stability shoe but ends up having the stability so well integrated that I think a lot of people will do well in it. And the way it's designed, I think will work well for either people that pronate, supinate, don't do either and just want a shoe that's stable and kind of in between. So yes, there are lots of shoes that are stable, neutral shoes. The Rebellion is a really good example of this, not to keep, you know, we're talking a lot about Mizuno, but there's some, there's no posting here, but the firmer ride and the way the plate is designed acts like mild stability. It's not gonna. It's not a post, right? And it's, most it's full people, length too. Yeah. Sorry. You, so the forefoot is very stable. Right, and it's because it also forks up here. So that's that's another method, right? You have resistance on either side, right? You're gonna likely go through the middle. That's technically a method of stability, not traditional, right? Not posting. So just because a shoe says stability or not, or, or a neutral shoe. We've talked about this before. Those categories don't necessarily mean as much anymore. 
right? Like things are definitely blurring those lines and we've talked, and there's lots of other people that have talked about redefining what that really means. So Nathan, go for it. What do you think? Just a one quick example. The Zuno yeah. Wave Rider 24 is going to be more stable than the New Balance Fuel Cell Prism. Totally agree. Even though the Rider is a, is a neutral, neutral shoe, shoe, right? The way the wave plate is set up is way more stable than the... And I'll, I'll have a review of the, the second version of the New Balance Fuel Cell Prism out, which changed things a little bit. The original one was very soft, and I didn't actually notice the stability that much. So even though it's a mild stability shoe, you know, I found it less stable, and I think everybody else did, than something like the Rider, right? Even though it's placed in these categories. So don't use the categories as an initial guide, no pun intended, but if you find that something's super comfortable, go for it. Like when I worked in running mm -hmm. shoes, I can't tell you the number of people that would come in with really stiff feet and ankles and like, I only wear the Keanu. That's the only shoe I wear. I get injured when I don't wear, when I wear anything else. And I'm like, you have like the most rigid foot I have ever seen. Right. Why are you wearing a stability shoe? But that's what they liked. And there was something about whether it was, you know, the higher arch and the, the way it was hugging that foot that they just liked. So I'm not saying the Keanu's for everyone. And I'm not saying that if you have a stiff, rigid foot, you should wear a stability shoe. There's a lot of other factors. So if totally. you like the Mizuno Wave Horizon 4, you should go for it. All right. I don't think it's it's not wrong for you per se. Um, I might have some different opinions if, say, you know, you're a newer runner and all of a sudden you jump into a very aggressive shoe like a carbon fiber plated racing flat and you're training in that. That's a different story. But for training shoes, you find something that's comfortable, go for it. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think it's important to acknowledge that stability is dynamic too. And it's also, there's a huge influence from your own individual biomechanics and how your biomechanics interact with the shoe that's underneath you. Because the shoe could be horribly unstable and like you might feel like you're flopping around and you're not holding it together. You can't make turns. You can't do things like it just might not be a good day for you. And someone else right next to you that's like their dream shoe and they love it and it works for their mechanics. And so there's a lot of small little components on these shoes. I think one that's easy to point out too, is maybe the Audi zero Adios pro two, very large lateral bevel pronates it pretty quickly. And then, but then they have the rod there and it kind of like almost like it's not speed bump. Like they did it very well, but it, but it almost like stops you and transitions you back into the midline. And so there's like a lot of these small little components in a lot of these shoes meant to do things like that. And so for some people, they might be like, oh, I don't feel like I'm stable. And other people are like dialed in. They're like, this forefoot feels great, which is, yeah, which is Matt. And, and so, the heel actually, where you yeah. know, a lot of people have been like, this is super unstable. And the fact that it's so laterally beveled for my foot, it works really like it's one of the more stable super shoes for me oh, the midsole is super soft but the way it locks my foot in but that's not what a lot of people have said and i've seen people where they're like it feels like i'm moving all over the place yeah dependent right that's one i haven't tried yet to... yeah it's it's a pretty uh it's a pretty uh, intense isn't a good word but it's it's a large posterior lateral bevel it's pretty sharp that's probably the best word i could use it's very it's pretty different than Boston 10. I know they're they're yeah. all in the same line, but different oh, yeah. than Boston 10. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Boston 10 is pretty prominent, but this one's like... I think it, I think the fir firmness of the Boston 10, I think, helps like integrate a little bit. If this one, it's way more intense because the 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 phone, the Lightstrike Pro. Right. You don't want to stand still in it. Right. No. Not a walking <laughs> shoe. So going back to their question, just to recap, from what I heard from you guys, you're basically saying... Yes, there is such a thing as a neutral shoe that has stability just based on its construction, geometry, wide base. I think a lot of Hoka's end up being relatively stable. Yeah, yeah. I had grabbed my shoes. Mach 4 here. Yeah. I didn't um, end up putting it up, but like a wide contact base support platform yep. usually works pretty well for a lot of people. And we've talked about a lot of these methods that it's not just the post, right? It's, you know, a white sole, sidewalls, all, you know, geometry. There's lots of other things that create stability yep. that are not always categorized that way. Yeah. 
And then I heard you guys talk about kind of that comfort comfort filter. And so, you know, there's still a lot of research to be done, but there is some evidence out there to suggest that looking at what is comfortable allows your foot to go through the mechanics that it wants to go through, which can mitigate some unnecessary injuries. Um, the, the other thing maybe I want to hear you guys touch on a little bit more explicitly is what do we know about pairing foot type to shoe type? Um, and are there areas that foot type and shoe type match up? Are there areas where injury history and shoe type match up? Let's talk about those things, but let's start with foot type to shoe type. What do we know about that? And what don't we know when about that? And then go. And when you're talking, you're talking about foot typing in like low arch, high arch, that yes. kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? Or I'm a supinator. I'm a pronator. Cause usually when people learn that they might be told that at a store, you know, like where you go and you walk or you could right. be told that just from standing still. Um, so, I mean, there's just a lot of ways people learn those things, but let's just take a, a big picture, high arch, low arch, supinator, pronator, matching them with a shoe. What do we know about that? So we know there's actually some solid evidence, some actually some, some huge military studies, which the military studies are usually good because they can have like hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. So you have a huge sample. So you know that there's a lot of power behind the study. And there's a couple of studies done not too long ago that suggested that matching foot shape to, or matching arch height or foot shape to shoe type did absolutely nothing for predicting injuries at all. So we know that that really, and then especially there's additional evidence on doing some of the static tests are borderline useless for looking at what's going to happen in motion. So doing like the wet paper test, all that kind of stuff, the static tests don't tell you what's going to happen when you move. So don't, you need, if somebody's not watching you in motion, they don't have a clear idea of actually what your foot's going to do. So art shape, no. The only exception to that would be if shoes have say the insole the place where the arches, if that's really high, not necessarily support, right? But if just the shape of the shoe isn't matching your foot and it's a little uncomfortable, that's something I would pay attention to. But the whole idea of, oh, you have a low arch, so you need to have a higher arched shoe, that, we, that doesn't match. Find something that's comfortable. Um, when it comes to pronation and supination, there's some evidence on, you know, people that have a history of pronation related injuries do better in stability shoes. But outside of that, if you haven't had injuries and you're pronating and supinating, it, it really hasn't seemed to be connected a lot because there's so many other things. Go for it, Nathan. I'm I missing something. Say, no, just with that study, because that, that's actually yeah. a pretty recent study that came out that looked yeah. at people with a history of um, pronation related injuries. That was actually a secondary analysis done on a primary right. research study. And yep. so there's, there's some limitation to the power of that just because yeah. it wasn't what they intended the study for in the first place, but they went back and they ran new analysis on the, the group study. So it's useful to think about. And I think honestly, clinically, we see that like people who are coming in with constant tib post issues or plantar fascia issues, like they, they do well with something that is helping to support a support a weakness that they have um but anyway long term you got to work on it yes yeah Still that's the big thing is the, it. It, it's like certain Should types work. of orthotics that we've talked about before is that you yes you can use a stability shoe or or you know an insole but you really need to be addressing that problem um but when it comes to like pronation supination there are lots of people and i experienced this that when you put somebody that has excessive motion in a stability shoe they actually start having more pain. And what I have found from that is what you're taking away is not a problem. You're taking away how they shock absorb. So some people, it's an instability, right? That they might benefit from some additional stability, whether it be medial or lateral, depending on what direction they're going. Other people, you do that. And if you don't understand what's going on with their biomechanics, you've taken away how they shock absorb and they do it efficiently. And now they're going to start loading another tissue that's not used to that. And so now you've placed them at an injury risk. So I'm not saying stability issues are bad. I'm just saying you need to understand what works for you. And just because you have a certain motion doesn't necessarily mean you need a certain shoe. If it feels more comfortable, great. It's like, you know, again, the, the middle to older age women that I work with when I worked in running stores who had super stiff feet and loved the Kiano, right? Which is a max stability shoe it's like dude you, your foot doesn't even move you're like like so neutral like but they liked it so again it's a good place to start in my opinion i'm curious to know what you guys think but 
there's a lot of other factors that go into this. You can't look at w emotion in one part of the body and assume, oh, that's, that's going to take care of it. No, I think we have to remember that so much of running is not only dynamic, but is eccentric in nature, being able to control motions as they happen. Can you control femoral internal rotation? Can you control the loads going through the tibia, the ankle, the pronation moment? Can you resupinate? Do you have the mobility in your great toe? There's a lot of small little things that really develop the picture of what is on your foot because we've talked about it before. Maybe you have really stiff ankles, you respond well to rockers, things like that. Sure, it feels good and it works for you and that's great but there's still something underlying here. And there's, it, it's a little bit different for everyone. It's always case specific, but sometimes shoes can also hide impairments a little bit and then it'll hide it for a while and then it resurfaces again, but then you can't hide it again. And you just keep going into this, this cycle and, and you keep, I don't know, people will start to blame the footwear and they won't blame themselves. Is that you, Matt? <laughs> may have been one of the reasons I started this website. Yeah. <laughs> was just I, uh, like, you know, having like an injury and going, I'm just going to get to this next shoe and this shoe is going to fix it. I'm going to find this perfect shoe instead of going, you know, I'm in PT school. I might want to fix some of the stuff, which took a little longer, right? This is the problem with trying to be your own PT, right? Or trying to be your own physician or what have you. Like, this is good to have a little bit of guidance, right? So footwear can be a tool and can help offload some of that stuff, but yeah. it shouldn't be your primary tool especially when it comes to injuries yeah two quick things for me one my sister is one of I, she doesn't think that deeply about it she would admit that um but she's like oh i know it's time for new shoes because my foot is starting to hurt again and so then she gets new shoes and then her her foot doesn't hurt again like it's it works um but if she were to uh maybe work on a couple things. She doesn't listen to these. So I think, I feel like I can safely say that. <laughs> you know, that might no, also just be tagger. her, no. that might, if she's doing it consistently, that just might be her nice little warning light that she needs a new pair of shoes. It is. No. It is yeah. her warning light. Um, the other thing, Dave was talking about all the different components and I, maybe I wasn't being a good listener, but even the, the, the different components of the foot in terms of mechanics and how it's going to interact with everything. And you may have said this, but even, you know, like you look at the coupling between hip internal rotation and pronation in the foot mm -hmm. and you, yeah. did you say the proximal stability and all that stuff? Well, I, I went from the top down. I said, okay, can you so control you the femoral internal rotation? Can you control right. the moment on the, the knee, tibia, ankle? Pronation? I'm a bad listener. Yeah. I'm just a bad yeah. listener. And what, what ends up happening though, for the listeners, uh, if to, to picture this a little bit easier, it, it almost is a spiral down your leg. So that hip starts to go in, it puts a little bit of pressure down at the knee, the tibia starts to rotate the other way, and then the ankle starts to collapse a little bit more this way. One way that you can do this at home, you can stand up. I'll just do it for the viewers. Have your hips here, rotate like that, and take a look at what your with the leg, contralateral side of what you're rotating on. So if you're rotating the left, look at your right foot. So your left leg will start to supinate, your right will start to pronate, and that's natural. But it's just a matter of being able to control that dynamically when you run. But that is way beyond the topic of today. I think bringing it back for Prairie Oats Jewelry, you know, if you found that the you like the Horizon 4, I think your one of your questions here was just a concern that you're running in a shoe that's not good for you. And that's just not, doesn't, from what we know about you, doesn't seem to be the case. We can never totally you know, answer your questions if we don't know you and aren't working with you. But um, from what we understand here, it doesn't seem like you're going to be hurting yourself. So here we go. We are going to wrap things up. Do you have something, Matt, that you want to say? <laughs> also, the Horizon 4 is the way the stability is set up, that it, the geometry is such that it's subtle enough. It'll probably work for people that go either direction. Yeah, totally. So I think it's totally. actually, that's actually yeah. a perfect shoe for you if that is something you're concerned about, actually. So. Also, I, I typically don't test our stability models, um, but that's what I probably... is a very different one, yeah. I should honestly test that one because the sky is too unstable for me. Um, I feel like we've all kind of felt that with the sky. Yeah, the sky has never really worked for me. I've loved every horizon I've put on. I should really... I'll get the horizon next time. I'll try it out. Anyway, let's wrap things up. Uh, it was fun to be back with you guys. Thanks for letting me ramble about 
the marathon. Um, hopefully there were some helpful takeaways somewhere in there. Uh, but if you want to keep up with what we're doing, as always, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We have a Strava group. And so if you want to see what our, what we're testing and what, what kind of runs we're going on, um, see how our races go, things like that, you can always follow us there as well and join our community on Strava. Um, and one final shout out to everybody who helped put on the Milwaukee Lakefront Marathon. It was their 40th year doing it, and they do a really good job. So if people are looking for like a low-key... It, it, yeah, it feels low key, but but really well put on. There's a couple thousand runners who do it. Um, it's a fun place to go. And if you hit me up, I can probably hook you up with some free housing because I got lots of family in the area. So um, thank you guys again for following and we'll see you all next time. Let us know how this sounds or looks now that we're using a new platform to record this. Thanks, everybody. Oh, I have to stop it.